church it church wasn't something you went to church like was life we refer to ourselves as recovering christians i drank the kool-aid i mean i was 100 percent in hello and welcome to the space cast this is ren this is lauren k hickman inspired astrology uh, happy Imbolc, happy Candlemas, happy Groundhog's Day. Um, this is an exciting day. Um, it is the halfway mark between the winter solstice and the spring equinox. We are in the dead of winter, literally. And this is the turning point where the days start to get longer, where we start to plant ideas for the spring, uh, literally our gardens, if we want to start planning for that, um, but also the warmer days ahead when we can get out and move and explore outdoors once again. Even though if you're wearing proper clothes, honestly, you can do just about anything. <laughs> uh, in bulk, uh, I think that I became familiar with that as a teenager when I was uh, dipping my toes into Wicca and the craft as a new format for understanding faith and spirituality and you know discovering the natural seasons the natural cycles and flows and rhythms to life which is i think very much a part of astrology and the way we move with nature so ways to explore this holiday for yourself would do do things like lighting candles with dinner um you know, if you have a fire pit, if you have access to a fire pit or maybe even a little sandy beach that you can get away and, and build a little fire for yourself, it's to illuminate the darkness, to see warmer days ahead. And I, I think that anything anything we can celebrate right now is going to be supportive of our mental health and our processes right now. Um, so I wish you a very happy in bulk. Whatever seeds that you're planting right now, may they be good seeds. We're still in Aquarian season. We have a new moon in Aquarius coming up on the 11th. And then the sun moves into Pisces on the 18th. Full moon on the 27th this month. And of course, Mercury is in retrograde until the 20th. Um, Mercury retrograded in Aquarius and it'll head backwards into Capricorn and then back into Aquarius heading out. Um, and I, I did make some mention of Mercury retrogrades and the importance of seeing this as an opportunity to look within, to do some retrospective work, to do considerations about language, speech, communication. Uh, and in Aquarius, it's authenticity, right? That's the that's the the button word <laughs> for this season. I don't think that Mercury retrogrades have to be about, you know, ex-boyfriends crawling out of coffins to come chat with us. I don't think that it's necessarily always trouble. Um, I think it's asking us to slow down. And um, this human, this amazing uh, astrologer that I found through the magical algorithms of Instagram, uh, she goes by Saturn and Honey. Her name's June. She wrote a really beautiful piece about Mercury retrograde and commerce and capitalism 
And if you get a chance, just go hit up her Instagram page and find that piece from Saturday. Um, it's such a it's such an exploration in these ideas of Mercury being a ruler of commerce, that correlation between connection, community. And, you know, when Mercury heads into psychopomp mode, which is fun to say, but psychopomp is when Mercury goes beneath the surface and connects with the underworld of Hades, of Pluto, those under under thoughts and things and conceptions that are in our subconscious. That is what Mercury retrograde really has the potential for fulfilling for us because Mercury is honestly our connection to higher spirit and to insight to um, the ahas, the divine inspirations that come through for us. And these Mercury retrograde periods may not be great for beginning new things, but they may be good for listening to things within you or finishing old projects. It really depends on how you want to work with it. This month, um, we do have uh, one of our first big uh, zero degree squares between Saturn and Uranus. And that is really the theme for this year. There'll be a couple of direct hits um, that, uh, are really shaking things up. Um, you know, Saturn is no longer considered a malefic planet. Um, it, we're in modern astrology, uh, Saturn, everybody has a place and purpose, right? And if we look towards esoteric astrology, uh, channeled through Alice Bailey in the 1930s, bringing through Joao Kuhl's work, I mean, there's, there's specifically, understanding that when we can work with Saturn, when we don't see it as a hindrance, when we see it as an opportunity to slow down and really be meticulous about our movements, that's when real change occurs. And we can, we can utilize the energy of Saturn of like slow down, restriction, focus, focus your attention, use fear in a meaningful way, transmute fear in a meaningful way, you know, changing the the restrictions of time into a structure. And I've been thinking a lot about structure and you know, I've been, I've been doing a lot of client interviews. I should I should mention this just because I think it's hysterical. Um, I, I've done about seven hours of client interviews, trying to get a better understanding of what what I can do better to provide services for my clients. And when I asked everybody, tell me a secret, tell me something, what I need to understand about the way that you move in the world through your consciousness. What what magic wand can I wave to make your life even better? Doing this work, providing what it is that I do, which is clarity, not a very marketable uh, (laughs) uh, concept. You know, it's really hard to bring abstract concepts in, but like being the salve for a wound of misunderstanding or disconnection with your higher power, that's kind of what I do. People come to me when they have, you know, transitions happening, when they're struggling, when they feel like grief or the stress or the anxiety is just more than they can handle on a regular basis. so I, I reached out to clients. I said, what, what can I do better? How can I wave this magic wand? Tell me your secrets. And they all said, um, I have a hard time with accountability. And this was across the board. Uh, I all have, I have a hard time with accountability. I have a, a challenging time with structures. I'm really inconsistent. I need someone to hold me accountable. I need someone to hold my hand. Um, and that tells me so much about the gifts of structure. 
when we have something written in our calendar and we show up for it, we do it. You know, when we have accountability from community or from our partners or our business partners or our family members, that we hold accountability for ourselves to make things happen. Too much freedom can be a hindrance. Too much freedom can give a lack of focus, a lack of initiative. And I think Saturn really offers that opportunity. So Saturn, you know, moved into Aquarius in December and will be moving slowly through this energy, even as Jupiter kind of departs from that, uh, that triple conjunction that we were feeling last year. Um, you know, Saturn on its own in Aquarius, it's, it's really a really interesting energy because it's not some, I mean, Saturn is the traditional ruler of Aquarius. So you think that there's got to be about something of futuristic reconstruction, reorganization of the systems that we're existing in. And we're watching that across the board. We're seeing buildings emptying out in downtown cities. What are we going to do with those? Are they going to become sustainable housing? Wouldn't that be beautiful? What are we trying to imagine for ourselves in the future? And the square to Uranus and Taurus. I've mentioned this again um, in in former episodes, but I want to keep impacting what this means for us. Uranus is about that insight, that kind of chaotic flash, lightning bolt type of energy. And it requires a lot of space, a lot of freedom. So you have Saturn, structure, Uranus, freedom, space, chaos. That can create a, a clash in a way. And squares, square is a 90 degree angle in astrology. So what, you know, think about a square and a sine wave when it comes to frequencies. You know, sine waves are like smooth and easy and calm and a square wave is gonna have tension to it <laughs> to use my voice to, to give you a sense of what that, what that feels like. Tension is necessary. Tension is necessary for us to make moves in our lives. Um, otherwise, there's just a lot of free floating or it's just everything comes natural to me. It's all so easy. Squares ask us to grow. It's going to be a, it's going to be a year. I want to say interesting. I want to say incredible. Things are moving. We're in it, so we can't see it for what, what's going on in the bigger picture. Um, so that is your astrological forecast. This week, I have Kalina Clarkson joining me. Um, she is a barista at Zanzibar in Des Moines, Iowa, an institution. You'll hear me say it many, many times. As far as coffee shops go and local coffee shops go and local roasters go, I mean, this place is old school. And I really appreciate that. The sustainability factor and the way that they move as a business. Um, their beans are top notch. They're, you know, they're where they source them from. Uh, the roaster is just phenomenal, just a stable like entity. You know, it's one of those characters in Des Moines that you're like, yes. 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 I love this. Um, the owner is an amazing human being and I, I've loved watching the crew sort of ebb and flow over the years. Um, it always feels like a familiar face. It always feels like a warm, comfy place to go to and there's no Wi-Fi, So you get a chance to talk to people or read or connect, um, when we get to go back inside. Right. But they have kept their, their doors open throughout the pandemic. Um, 
I really appreciate their business and especially because I got a chance to meet Kalina. We have a very, very, very different upbringing and I'm so grateful that we connected at all because we're so unlike that it, it, <laughs> it kind of took time and space and growth for us to come together as humans and as individuals. And I would consider, uh, consider Kalina one of my closest friends. And uh, she is an Aquarius sun sign. She is always evolving in her own way, her own process, fixed as it may be for those of us familiar with the uh, Aquarius air fixed energy. And I asked her to share her story of childhood growing up in an evangelical household with many, many siblings, uh, the youngest of nine out in um, outside of Des Moines area in Granger, Iowa. She obviously left uh, the evangelical faith in her 20s and, and got a chance to share her story of what, what that uh, evolvement looked like, how, how it sort of took place in her own personal life. And I've come across many people in a post-faith uh, limbo. And many people close to me are in a deconstruction mode, post-Christianity mode, post-faith mode in a lot of a lot of different uh, people coming from different backgrounds, right? And I think astrology and things like the Enneagram and meditation, those universal human wisdoms are really coming uh, to fill in some gaps for individuals. And I thought by bringing Kalina on that, you know, some young folks might get some insight into what it feels like to fall through space without a net when your faith system dissolves for one reason or another. I think she has some really incredible things to share. So stay tuned. Hello. Hey again. <laughs> too. What's funny is every time I talk to my friend Allison in Copenhagen, at least once in our conversation, something happens on one of our ends and we get cut off. So like we feel it's not a full conversation unless we have to like recall each yeah. other. So yeah, what I was asking you about was, um, you know, working working with customers serving coffee beverages that, you know, you get sort of a pulse on the community and sort of the ins and outs of what's happening. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we, we have everything from like, in, you know, Des Moines being a big insurance hub. We have a lot of that, um, a lot of lawyers that come in and a lot of doctors that kind of give us the inside scoop as to how that community feels and, what the opinions are, what the facts are, which are sometimes two completely different things. But yeah, it's, you, you really do get a pulse of, you know, not, especially with the pandemic as to like how the music community is doing, how they're struggling or staying, you know, staying afloat. So yeah, it, it is a real, like you said, pulse on the community for sure. You've been with Zanzibar for almost a decade now. It'll be nine years February. That's just incredible. I mean, awesome. knowing Zanzibar's history in Des Moines, I mean, coffee shops were not popular in 1990. You know, there were no Starbucks. Lee was ahead of the curve for sure. Absolutely. It's an institution, that place. 
I have so many great memories of being there and especially the back patio. I don't know oh, for yeah. those people who love Zanzibar as much as we do. So, I mean, your, your story does not start with coffee shops, <laughs> you know, I mean, you, you grew up in Iowa. You're one of 10 kids, nine, nine kids. How just love to get your, your tale, your story and how, you know, what brought you to this kind of um, this this flowering that's happening now in your life that felt so distant as a young person. It's, it's really bizarre because I, I would most definitely say, you know, the, the family is split into thirds. The older two thirds all being adopted had a completely different upbringing than me and my two brothers. I, I don't think I could truthfully speak to their experience I just know tidbits from what I've been told. It's really weird. It's it's, it's like two completely separate lives happened, as far as my parents go. Um, they were very, very religious. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I come from a long line of uh, preachers, uh, teachers, laymen. Um, so that's not all that surprising on both sides of my family. But as far as like... I don't know, my parents in particular had this sort of fanatical zeal about religion um, that I don't even think their siblings really had. I have no idea where that came from. But uh, yeah, so I think that, I mean, of course, had a direct result in how they raised their kids. And yeah. And even Is how- adoption a part of that? The fact that they adopted six children? Yes, adoption was a part of that. Um so the story I was told was, so this kind of tells you a lot about my parents. One of, I think it might've been their first date. My, so my mom would have been probably a junior, senior in high school. Their first date was to a, some sort of youth for Christ rally. <laughs> Christ is a um, Christian organization uh, aimed obviously towards youth. Um, it, it's an international organization. And, oh, I mean, you've heard of Billy Graham. Yeah. Old rallies a lot. Like this was a very popular thing back in the, in the fifties. So my parents met at a youth for Christ rally. And at this rally, there was a man there from, I think he was from Holt international, which is an adoption agency. He surely touched my parents and they had a, they talked about it afterwards and, and I, apparently my dad said, uh, Hey, if we ever get married, would you consider adopting one of those babies to which my mother, now mind you, this is like their first date. Um, right. So my mother's reply was, well, I don't know if I want to marry you, but yeah, I would love to adopt one of those babies. So yeah, they ended up getting married and adopting two of those babies. So that's kind of what started it. They wanted their own kids, of course. That just didn't work out until later. My I understand the concept of tithings. You know, that's a big part of Christianity and other faith systems where you give a, a portion of your earnings for so, those in need or right. to the church. So, you're, so your tithe is 10%. That is your tithe. Your offering is anything over that is like what's required of you as a Christian. Um, but offering is like going above and beyond what's required of you sort of thing. That's built in, but your, your parents 
join <laughs> an organization that were like, uh, no, you got to give us everything yeah. that you have, yeah. which feels very controlling. Well, yeah, um, it was. Yeah. How long were they there and how did they get away from that? And does that organization still exist? I don't think it does. I think most of the people who ran it have died and I don't think anyone carried it on to my knowledge. I corrupt. I mean, where does that, all that money come from? Like know. to, to yeah. sell everything you own. It, it, it seems really, I don't know, snake oil. It's oh, not right. Oh, yeah, exactly. Um, so I don't know the circumstances uh, of why they left, but they did. And we moved to Granger and had a house and mm-hmm. that's when I was born. So, so that's all I ever knew was that. What was the age difference between you and your eldest sibling? Uh, 19 and a half years. That's a lot of kids. <laughs> it sure is. So you, were you raised by your siblings yeah. more than your parents? I would say so. Yeah. Well, my dad was never home because he was constantly working to provide for us. He worked at the Firestone plant. He re-enlisted in the Army. Um, yeah, he, he did everything to keep us afloat. But yeah, I mean, my mom was kind of the organizer she kept everything organized but my siblings really did the work so yeah what did that i mean what did a day look like and what did a how did like how often were you at church or oh, what man. organization what like what church were you part of in your youth and what did that feel like so i think my parents when they left Boone went back to the church that they went to before they went to Boone. And then they went to first assembly. I think my mother had problems with some of the doctrine that they were teaching at the church. And I think she kind of head butted with some of the elders. I think my parents Decide, decided once again to go to another church and they picked First Assembly for some reason. I don't know why. And so that's the church I pretty much grew up in. What, how is that? How is First Assembly described? Cult. <laughs> uh, very, very cultish. Um, it, I, you know, it, but like, I use that term very loosely because I know there were, there are actual like legit cults that are way more extreme than what I experienced. And by cult, I mean, it was very, you were expected to be a certain way, to live a certain way, to do certain things. And if you, you know, if you didn't do the checklist, you were very ostracized and looked down upon even yeah so that's that's kind of what i mean by by cultish yeah you very much had to adhere to being a certain kind of person really that's just fascinating to me knowing that you were an aquarian sun <laughs> you know con- conjunct mars no less right um, and, and so there is a lot of, uh, like potency there in you establishing your uniqueness and your identity, but also the need to be a part of a group. Right. So how did that affect you as like a young Aquarian, <laughs> <laughs> um, to think that you wanted to belong, but you also knew that you didn't fit in maybe? Oh, uh, well, when I was younger, I didn't know any better. I mean, that's all I knew. I fit in right. perfectly because I was willing to mold to whatever needed to be. Whatever I needed to be. 
uh, you know, church, it, church wasn't something you went to church, like was life. Um, school was just something you did in between going to church. That was really kind of the attitude. And, you know, in hindsight, you know, nothing terrible happened to me. You know, some of the philosophies that were taught were kind of fucked up and, and kind of, I've discussed this with other people who have gone there. It, it kind of does a number on your, um, on your mentality, on your sexuality, on your emotions. Like it, it kind of does a number on you in that regard. But, you know, I, I will say that I, some of my greatest friends I have now, I met because of that church. So I, I can't completely dismiss it, you know. And would you call would you describe yourself now as a deconstructionist or like post evangelical? How we we refer to ourselves as recovering Christians. Sounds about right. Yeah. I think is the uh, the the term we we use most, and and it's it's funny that you know I I drink the Kool Aid. I mean, I was one hundred percent in, you know, even th- all the way through high school in the college. Up until like my early twenties, like I was, I was all in. You said once that we wouldn't have been friends, you know, when we were 16 and, you know, I just think about the contrast, the divide that is between us based on the experience of our youth. And, you know, of course we have a a great relationship now. I I would consider you one of my closest friends and you know, we're in each other's circle, right. so to speak. And it, and it did take some time to get there. <laughs> oh yeah. And yeah. Uh, I'm a, I'm a work, uh, for sure. Like it, it's not, I've, I'm not one of those easy access people for sure. It's been worth it. It's been oh, worth it. Yay. Let me tell you. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, I want to, I want to try to picture because there's things that I, I do know just from, you know, based on observation and what you've shared with me that you never listen to uh, is it non-secular music, like rock and roll and I things mean, like that? you know, it, it's impossible to not, you know, because, like, you're on the school bus, it's playing there, it's, you know, other people are playing it. So it's just like, I was, I was aware of pop culture, but I wasn't, like, really a part of it. Like, it wasn't anything I sought out. Like, you know, my 20s was really a huge learning curve of, like, going back and, kind of relearning the things I sort of knew, but like never indulged in because I wasn't supposed to, you know? Yeah, it was weird. I was a weird kid. (laughs) Well, I mean, like, okay, so as an outsider, I didn't go to Jesus camp or I don't know what the names for it was. Like, I didn't go to church a couple times a week. So, I mean, can you share some, some of the, those experiences um, or the indoctrination, like, you know, they, they no, no sex until well, marriage, yeah. gays are bad, the Christian white normative basically was bad. Yeah. Uh, yeah, pretty much. Um, exactly, exactly what you said. Uh, you know, there was just that, that call to be holier and more pure and, you know, to shed more of quote unquote, the world. Uh, from your life yeah and you know I I think for I think that works for some people honestly and good for you 
if it does. But I think the majority of humans need more than that. And I think a lot of people in my situation, uh, a lot earlier than I did, I will say, had this sort of reckoning moment of, you know, I, I think it all unravels pretty quick once you start questioning really anything, you know? So it's a delicate system. Like it's fragile. It's fragile. And it's fragility is, is 100% based on how strong your faith is. Honestly. I mean, you know, you can just be 100% going in blind and you'll just believe anything that is presented to you, you know, um, with, with no question. Um, and, and I, of the rapture, those are things that come to mind. uh, Yeah. Fear and guilt, I think were the two mainstays of why people didn't stray. Yeah. Yeah. The rapture was definitely a thing that we were all terrified of and just guilt, guilt of sin, guilt in and of itself was a huge punishment. I mean, honestly, um, breaking the rules in any way. I mean, guilt, guilt is powerful in the, the psychological evolution of humans, knowing that, um, it, it keeps, it keeps community together. Right. And so it has value when it comes to, to people taking care of one another, but when presented as a power dynamic in that kind of setting where you're being emotionally manipulated a good deal of the time, but, but then told that like feelings are not facts and that sort of division between the thought processes and your actual desires in the physical world. Yeah. And I don't even know how, like in hindsight, looking back, like there, there were kids I knew that are gay now. And, and looking back, I'm like, Oh, Oh yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. And I, but I can only imagine how hard it was for them just me as a regular person getting out of that was in just dealing with my family was hard enough. Like I can't imagine that layer on top of it. So you mean like leaving, leaving the church affected your family dynamics because they still want to drink the Kool-Aid or continue to go to church and you washed your hands of it in your twenties. But you know, my own, like it wasn't anything I talked about. So I, I don't think that was anything that like my parents really figured out until much later. So I just kind of did my own, my own path, did my own thing. And like, and we, we don't, we don't talk about personal stuff like that. Like that's not, that's not something we, we discuss. That's a hard culture to grow up in where you don't talk about your no, feelings. No, no, not at all. Um, I, I think we're better about it now as adults, as siblings, but you, you know, it's like what my high school teacher said, you know, no matter when, when you leave the house, no matter what changes you go through, how different you become as a person, when you go back in that door, you're still that 18 year old that left. Now that we're all grown out of the house, like, I think that's still very true with us. Like, I don't think many of us talk about things like that with our mom. So we, I, I don't, and I don't, I don't think most of my siblings do. We do a little bit with each other, but not, not really. <laughs> yeah. So what was Christian camp like? <laughs> oh, you're really drilling me today, aren't you? Give me the dirt. I mean, to be honest, it was really fucking boring. You know, it was, there wasn't a lot to do in the free time we had. 
mostly my friends and I played cards. Like we we honestly couldn't really afford to go. So I think from probably my junior year of high school for like maybe a five year span, I went every year as a counselor, which is kind of fun. I'd like to hear that um, version of it too. <laughs> Oh man, being a counselor was way more fun than being a camper. Oh my god, I would never want to be a camper at a camp again. Um, which is how I got to know the girls that I'm now still friends with. Um, I was their camp counselor every year. Um, because well, y'all got out. Uh, we all got out. We all got out. Um, yeah, it was. It was. Although I'm what drinking the Kool-Aid, like, I'm still an intelligent being, and I wasn't really buying into all of the, I guess, I mean, they put a lot of pressure on kids. Like, I don't know if you've ever seen that documentary, Jesus Camp. Not yet. Um, horror movie in and of itself. Um, it's accurate? Did you watch it and feel that it's accurate? Oh, it's accurate. And and there there's a lot of pressure uh, especially on younger kids um to be the warriors for christ and spread the gospel and um looking back and i'm like oh my god it's just barbaric um so i very much took the approach of um question so i was kind of like a little renegade from the inside um a little bit bucking the system but um it, it it was a weird dynamic. I'm not gonna lie. Well, that see, that's the Aquarian I was looking for in all of this. Is like that the <laughs> renegade bucking the system, asking the questions. Yeah, that, yeah, that you were able to influence those younger minds who might be yeah. more sponge-like and more fearful. Um, they totally were. That, like you know, they they were all ahead of their time and too smart for their own good, and you know. I really didn't have to really say or encourage much. Like they kind of knew, knew what the gig was. And, um, in that regard, we kind of became kindred spirits in that, in that regard. Mm. Um, played a lot of cards, <laughs> uh, a lot of cards, but what kind of, yeah. what kind of like emotional, um, manipulation within these settings? Oh, I mean, cause I know that a lot of people got really addicted to those highs that come from emotional, um, propaganda or people into a frenzy where they think that they're having an ecstatic experience or a high based on these techniques. And I do, I do feel like that there's a lot of authenticity in the, the spiritual experiences. I've had many of them myself. Um, but, but when, when people get hooked on that, that the only place they can get that fix is from church and through these very, um, no, that's, like I mean I even you know personally remember there is a high that you feel and you you do it carries with you like after camp or after a youth retreat or youth convention um there there is follows I mean there is something about this large group of people being in the room for the same reason um goal of trying to reach God um to experience um so he did a study and i discussed i came across somebody did a study of um like how the emotional high that line becomes blurred with 
sex by people of how like their first sexual experience was tied in with um that high of convention or just coming home from camp and it, it and i was just like this totally makes sense and nobody talks about this um high there's a lot of emotional manipulation absolutely um you're all you must you know there there must be some sin holding you back you know there's a lot of that rhetoric mm. um Jules fault if they're not yes. reaching those kind of climatic climactic yeah. you said it's sexual in nature in a way the sort of ecstasy it yeah it you know and experiences for oh, me I, I don't think I could to be I I don't think I could <laughs> it's uh well describe like what happened that led up to that experience like you said it's a room full of people there for the same reason. So you get that, that group energy. That's a component um, there. I, I, I could, I could compare it. Um, and it's a very important ball game, like the world series or the world cup. And you, you're, you're in this crowd of like-minded people cheering for the same goal and achievement. And that goal happens. And the euphoria that comes of achieving that goal, or sometimes not achieving that goal, if you're on the side that loses, um, similar to that. Like, it's so different than, like, just being at the bar and it's you and two people that are cheering for a team. Like, when you're in a huge crowd like that, it's it's a different experience. Absolutely. Um, that's the one thing I could maybe liken it to. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Yes, I am. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so tell me about um, going to ministry school and then where the dissolve happened and what, what life looked like after that. Did it feel crestfallen? You know, what are your feelings towards Master Jesus at this point? Do you think that he'd be super pissed that this was going on in churches? <laughs> um, accumulation of, of things. Um, I, I, will, I will side note that some of the people that I met while there, I'm still uber good friends with, and um, I don't regret going um, uh, for the world. Um, however, it, it was it was a um, a real gradual thing, and then it just kind of came to a huge apex for me. And 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 the gradual thing was. Um, as a business and as a system mistreating people that it should have been helping i think i saw enough of that to where it completely made me question the core of of who i am why am i here um what is the point um seed kind of grew and grew and grew um, and for me was, I had a roommate at the time who had kind of fallen off the deep end and I was just in a real, I was kind of in a mess of a spot. I didn't know what to do, um, free fall. And I dropped out of school, um, I gathered enough money for an oil change. I drove back home. Um, I left it all behind. 
when when one does that, there's a huge sense of free falling and without a net, and it's it's a little terrifying. And there's there's a little bit of uh, what do I do now? Like you know, you kind of feel like you have no purpose at all, and you know, it's a it's a very precarious uh, place to be in. It's very odd. Because uh, it's, you know, with that decision, there's an erasure of everything that defined your childhood. Like you said. Well, she- and who you are. Yeah. 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 And and you're, you're starting from scratch. And, you know, for me, it was particularly weird because it's like, here I am completely innocent to the world and all it has to offer. Um and you're an adult. I'm a full-grown adult. Like, I am as naive as I'll get out. I have no idea what I'm doing. And I, you know, and, you know, it was, um, I personally, the, the two saving graces for me, um, friend Jeremy was having a similar experience up north. He went to the Bible school up north, um, and moved back to Des Moines. So we were both in Des Moines at the same time. We were in kind of the same. We are, um, I think if, if we didn't have each other, like, I think this, it would have, I think it might've been a just completely different story. Um, a lot going on with the family at the time. And honestly, my head was in a place where I was just like, okay, just get a job. And you'll figure it out. Like, honestly, that was my mindset. Just get a job and you'll figure it out. Um, So I did. And I did. So, um, and, you know, um, and and the huge thing was um, majors into this sort of limbo. Um, I became friends with this girl named Nicole. Um, We ended up becoming roommates. She, she was a life changer. Absolutely. Like she, I met her at the exact perfect time. I should have met her. Um, kindly, uh, impatiently sort of like introduced me to cinema, music, politics, wine. I mean, like, uh, um, in such a way she was very adult about it. Uh, she wasn't like, I need to take you out and get drunk and blah, blah, blah. Um, she was like, here, check this out. Um, that's absolutely what I needed. Um, you know, so I didn't know anything about music or movies or politics except for being an uber Republican. Um, anchor for me, and it was fantastic. That was a, that was a game changer. I didn't realize that that's when the shift into cinema happened for you because yeah. I like I know you've shown me a notebook that included every film that you've ever seen. Yeah. And it was full in 2015. So yeah. what does that look like now? I mean, within <laughs> the tiny margins, did you start a new notebook? How many movies um, have you estimated that you've seen? It's not I need to update that book, um, by the way. Um, it's I will... Uh, but yes, I have another one. Um, I watched 339 movies last year. That was a record for me. Um, 
with Nicole course coincided with when I worked at Video Warehouse. So it was kind of a one-two punch. Um, <laughs> and Video Warehouse is like the last place where you can rent a movie in Des Moines. It's closing. No! <laughs> I, I'm so sorry to be the one to break it to you, but it's closing. Wow. That's a that's re- truly an end of an era because there hasn't been a blockbuster around for a decade. There is still a family video. video. Do you yeah. remember that? Yeah. They had like they had the horror section with this terrifying ghoul by the door. I would never go in there as a kid. I was like, nah, thanks, I'm good. <laughs> like, it was it was a whole like theme park style. Yeah. Um, I. But yeah, All right. But that's- that, I mean that like, that leads me to think of. Um, your foray into horror, which has been a new a new genre for you to to really dip your toe into, um, and I think um, I'd never scary movies. I never liked being scared. I had been through enough scary things in my actual life. Um, even before the pandemic, um, actually, even before twenty twenty, uh, my friend Joe and uh, her goals are for the next year. Um, and I'd like to hit 300 again next year. It's been a long time. I'm like, all right, yeah, I'll take you up on that. And so like, it became a thing. Um, little did we know that by doing that, we would be ushering in a pandemic. Um, yes, I, I take full responsibility. Um, yeah, you know, going into 2020, knowing I'm going to watch all of these movies, I was like, I need some sort of guidance here. And so, uh, started as um that i missed because i was a fucking christian um to start from what did i miss as a kid yeah like (laughs) shit that like i wasn't either i wasn't allowed to watch or if i did see it it was it was because it was on tv and hot heavily edited um if i've actually seen the real version of die hard um i actually prefer because you can it's edited so poorly it's hilarious um (laughs) but um yeah so i tracked down like all the movies from like the 80s and 90s that were would would have been completely forbidden to me um and i got to this apex of okay i i just gotta do it and and there are all of these like staple horror movies i'd never seen like Friday the 13th, The Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, I had seen Halloween. Um, Joe, I'm doing it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go down the rabbit hole. Little did I know that I would enjoy them so much. Had no idea. Um, I love the stupid, cheesy horror movies. I hear your cat. <laughs> horror movie rabbit hole, and it was, it was pretty fantastic me knowing your dedication to the Criterion Collection, mm-hmm. um, that you've you've seen everything in their catalog. Last <laughs> I checked with you, uh, in the Criterion, no, I'm I'm ah, uh, there's so many in there. Like they're up to like they're well over a thousand in the catalog. Mm-hmm. I I mean I've probably seen two thirds. That's still impressive. If if I had to just guess, yeah, probably two thirds, because they keep coming out with like new ones every month. Like it used to be, they would maybe get a new one every couple of months, and now it's like at least five a month, and so it's like it's hard to keep up these days. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, I'm 
but this year, you know, that's one of my goals is um, I'm taking part of the Criterion Challenge where you, there's like 52 different things and like once a week you watch a movie from the Criterion. So yeah, I'm doing that. Why did you pick Scop? You help, you help on film sets when that does happen. Yeah. Um, how did that evolve and how is that meaningful for you? Um, I mean, it all happened through Zanzibar. Um, really old. Um, I moved back to, from Minneapolis uh, nine and a half years ago. And it happened right during the 48-hour film project. Um, 48-hour and Zanzibar, I met Bruce. Bruce Bales, who um, has a production company called Deft Productions. Um, and so was taking a hiatus because his wife was like, no more Bruce. And so that's how Bruce and I really met. Um, and so Bruce and this guy, Justin, for probably three years in a row. And, and three years ago, um, a friend of mine is directing a movie. Would you like to be a part of it? And I'm like, oh, hell yes. Um, and so I'm a part of the production of Knee High, which I'm incredibly proud of. Um, and that was with Marissa on. So, yeah. So through Bruce, I've met all of these amazing people. And so the last three years, I've worked with Bruce and his crew and Marissa making a short film um, and hope to do it here on out. So it's a uh, kismet. You get to bring your eye after all the years of watching cinema, you know, being able to assist in the actual creation manifestation of that. That's really, I'm proud of you. Oh, thanks. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's funny. We had a break, uh, this last film we were shooting and we were eating and we were just talking about movies cause we're all nerds. Um, which I love. I, I mentioned some movie and I was like, how have you guys not seen that? And, you know, Marissa jokingly was like, shut up, Britannica. And I was like, oh, that, yeah, yeah, that's pretty accurate. It's like a backhanded compliment right there. Exactly. And I was like, oh, that, I deserve that. That's, that's fitting. That's very fitting. Yeah. But yeah, it, it totally made me laugh. Chatting with you. And I don't know if you had anything, like any last thoughts or comments. I mean, I, I know that I drilled you a little bit into, you know, the, the evangelical Christianity of your childhood. And I appreciate that because it's so different from my own experience. And I, I know I have a lot of clients. I know that I have a lot of friends that are, you know, that, yeah. um, that space and it leaves a big void. Like it you does. said that you were falling without a net. Um, what, what would you be nations for, let's say, a young person that's in their 20s who might have um, decided that they don't want to adhere to religious Christianity? Um, have you found a way to balance like good feelings towards Christ's teachings or spirituality in some way? Like, yeah. Where have you found the balance? Yeah. Um, it's, uh, I, I think, a huge part of that is you have to find your people. You have to find your home. I have been incredibly fortunate um, in that regard. And that was very helpful for me. Um, some of the things that I was taught and that I learned while in church that I do still carry with me, like it's not all 
garbage. And I think that you kind of have to figure that out on your own. You have to figure out what you want to keep, what you want to dispose of. Um, but there, I, I had a youth pastor, um, he had the saying, you know, love God, love people. And I, I think that if you adhere to that, adhere to that, whatever that means for you, um, it's as far as like leaving a faith, that doesn't mean you've lost faith. You know, it's, um, I, I judged by how you treat people. Um, people who tend to leave churches, there, there's a lot of bitterness there and there's a lot of anger and guilt and that's just something you have to work through. And there's a lot of blame being thrown around. Um, but you just fit into all of it. Um, you got, I mean, yourself, cause no one else is gonna, if you're not, you know, that's a very true thing. Um, so you just, just find your people and, you know, along the way you'll figure it out. I guess. And we wish all those people who are trying to recover, as you put it, <laughs> or who are post that mindset. Um, find a therapist. Yeah. Find a therapist. <laughs> uh, honestly, I, I had been told that for a very long time. And it it it, it took me um, almost to finally do that. It was a game changer. It was an absolute game changer. Um, I think everybody needs that one person outside of their world to spill things to and to get perspective from. So um, I think therapy is important, but find the right therapist. Like if you're not connecting, go to someone else, you know, find one that works for you. That's good advice. Yeah. Yeah. And you can drop by Zanzibar on Ingersoll and 28th Street in Des Moines, Iowa, if you're in the area. Wear a mask, grab some beans, tip Kalina and the other humans that make the make the drinks there. Um, man, I miss those eggy sandwiches so much. Uh, soon enough, I'll be back. Anyway, um, thank you for making time to listen to this interview to check in with the astrological forecast. Uh, my name is Lauren K. Hickman. You can find me on Instagram. Book an appointment with me at energyinterpreter.com. Uh, find my work uh, there, all the writings on the full and new moon reports and astrological, whimsical thought happenings. And I hope that you are taking good care of yourself. Winter will be gone soon and new beginnings always. Stay inspired. <laughs>